Bibles this morning, if you will, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and uh, while you're turning, let me uh, just mention something this morning uh, that I would not normally mention, and uh, Merry Christmas, number one, uh, but uh, let me just, I'm going to ask you to do something different this morning. As I go through this passage of Scripture and share some thoughts today, I'm going to ask you to stay in your seat for the entire message. Uh, just because of the brevity of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, when we talk about the gospel message, in a room this size, it is very likely that someone may be hearing the gospel for the very first time, or someone may be struggling with something within where they are on the cusp of making a decision that any kind of movement, any kind of unexpected change in the service may distract them. And I know that's not your heart. I know that's not what you would try to do. Uh, even when it comes time for the invitation at the very end, uh, let's do our very best not to do anything distracting, whether that's even closing. I, I know sometimes when I was a kid, I had one of those uh, zipper Bible covers, you know, uh, signifying, yep, we're done, let's go to the house, you know. Uh, but if you could help me this morning, I, I would greatly appreciate it uh, just because of the impact, uh, not that my words have, not that's not what I'm saying, but the impact that the Bible has in people's lives. Uh, it cannot be understated. So uh, I'd ask you to help me this morning with that, if you will. I think sometimes we think, you know, just subconsciously, well, I'm just going to slide out quietly, but um, we could distract someone very easily. So if you can help me with that, unless it's an emergency, uh, if we could do that, that would be great. The most significant event in the history of the world goes by without anyone noticing Think about the most impactful event that could happen, and it takes place, and no one even knows that it's happened. And that's where we are in Luke chapter number 2. When we get to verse number 8, no one knows that Jesus has been born. Nobody. Uh, Mary and Joseph, obviously, they knew. The people who were staying in the inn, they knew because, uh, you know, there's a baby crying, and we saw that pregnant lady come up, and she must have had her baby, but... No one else knew. And I want us to look this morning at the role that the shepherds played in this event and why it resonates with us. And here's what I want to ask this morning. If I don't tell people about Jesus, who is going to? Can, can I expect to hear about the gospel on cable news? Can I expect to hear about the gospel on any mainstream show, any mainstream avenue that we would think about and we would go to today, most likely we're not going to hear the gospel in those avenues. But those of us who have been entrusted with the truth, we know the story, we know the message. It is our responsibility not only to receive it, but to share it. And that's where we are this morning. And I want to point out three very simple thoughts this morning from this passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse number 8. Just read a couple verses for context, and then we'll pray and dive right in. The Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And here it is. For unto you 
is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That is our passage for this morning. Let's pray over the text that we've been given. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for the simplicity of the gospel message and the fact that you sent us a Savior. Lord, thank you for the great truth that we have today. But Lord, in a room this size with this many people from different backgrounds, it is very possible and likely that someone here has not received the greatest gift ever given to humanity. Lord, whether someone watching in person or watching online today, Lord, I ask that you please speak to all of our hearts and help us to see that each of us have a responsibility to do something with this message that we'll see here in Luke chapter 2 today. Lord, please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of sin, anything unconfessed in my heart and life. Please forgive me and help me to be clean as I preach your word today. And Lord, we are thankful for the music that we've heard today and how it encourages us and it draws our attention upward. But Lord, help us now through the teaching of your word. Lord, help us to see our response to what you would have for us today. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Speak to hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down, number one, the position that's mentioned. The position right on the heels of the Christmas story that most of us will probably read tomorrow morning before presents get open. We see some activity right outside of Bethlehem. And, and to know what's going on, number one, we have to look at the culture. The culture. The role of a shepherd was a very lowly position. We see that David was a shepherd as the youngest in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in verse number 11. It says, and Samuel said unto Jesse, this is David's father, are here all thy children. And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. We know that the Egyptians did not like shepherds. And that's found in Genesis chapter 46 and verse 34. And it says, for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. But even though the position was socially disdained, we also understand there were some perks. Most of the wealthiest people in the world, when the Bible was written, were farmers. They, were, uh, they had livestock. They had cattle. Uh, think about Jethro in, not Bodine, the guy from Beverly Hillbillies, but uh, think about Jethro in the Bible. Uh, think about Abraham. Think about Jacob. Think about Jesse, the father of David. Think about Job. All these people were farmers when it came to having livestock. They had cattle. They had sheep. They were shepherds. All of those people. These lambs that are mentioned here, keeping sheep in their flocks by night, were most likely being held for temple sacrifice because of their close proximity, Jerusalem, just a few miles away. And they were keeping these for sacrifice. It was a hard and thankless job. But here's the thing. These men were faithful. They were faithful to the task that they had been given. And sometimes our service for the Lord feels like that. Hey, I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But there, man, nobody ever says thank you and nobody ever acknowledges it. 
whether you're working in the nursery or singing on stage. It just is a thankless job at times serving the Lord. But we have to ask, why do I serve? Why am I serving? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I'm not supposed to be serving today for the praise of men. I'm not supposed to be singing or serving or preaching or sharing or serving in the nursery or handing out a handout. I'm not supposed to be doing those things so that someone will say, good job. I'm supposed to be doing those things to bring honor to the Savior. That's why I'm supposed to do those things. Brian Chappell said, lasting service comes when we serve God from his acceptance, not for his acceptance. I'm not serving the Lord so that God will say, good job. I'm, say, I'm serving the Lord because he has already done a work in my heart and out of that flow service. That's why we serve. And I, I'll just go ahead and put a plug in right here. We're going to two services the last Sunday in January, and we're going to need some more workers. Whether that's nursery workers or safe house kids workers or uh, greeters, whatever it is, singers, musicians, we're going to need more workers. So if you have a gift... And you say, man, I have a desire I want to serve. This is your golden opportunity to get involved. But think, why do I help? I serve to bring honor to him. So this was a, an area here where these men, this culture, it was disdained to be a shepherd. But there were perks involved. But then number two, we see the concern that's mentioned. It says they were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. By night. The work of a shepherd was an overnight job. This was something, this was a third shift. The biggest concerns that they had were thieves and predators, and most of them didn't attack in the daylight. They attacked at night. So even though you're like, man, it's just sheep, Pastor, they're, they're dumb farm animals, and I have worked with them, and they're just like that. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not very smart. Ironically, we're compared to sheep in, in the Bible. Uh, but think about, these are just simple farm animals. Yet, there was a danger. While they're diligent in what they're doing, there is still a risk involved. And it's no different for us today. Work requires effort, which involves risk. Work requires effort, which involves risk. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? What, what risk do I have if I'm going to serve the Lord? What risk do I have? You have the risk of your mind. Because your mind plays games on you at times. That people could only dream to do. What if that person doesn't like me? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't do a good enough job? What if I, what if I, what if I? You know, even if I have all of those mind games going in my mind, I'm still commanded to serve the Lord. We see in Psalm 100 and verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Matthew 5.11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. Say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. It doesn't say blessed are you if men shall say. When? When? It's a guarantee. We're going to face opposition. And just because we're excited about serving Jesus doesn't mean that everybody else is going to be excited about serving Jesus. There will be times when we struggle. But will we allow someone else's mood to affect ours? This Christmas season, you go to work and it's like, man, Merry Christmas. Bleh. 
You know, Scrooge syndrome, humbug, you know. Uh, and you say, man, I don't want to talk to them. And we allow other people's mood to affect ours. We have the greatest gift that's ever been given to humanity. We have reason to celebrate today. So when we sing joy to the world, it's joy to us. We sing it with fervor and excitement because a Savior has been born to us. So we're thankful for that. We see the culture, these shepherds disdained. We see the concern. They were out in, at nighttime when it was dangerous. But then number three, we see the confrontation. The confrontation. While they are simply watching for predators, watching for thieves, immediately they face a danger that they were not anticipating. Look at verse number nine. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Wow, wasn't expecting to see angels out in the middle of the field. Wasn't expecting all of a sudden to have spotlight shining down on us. No issue to see the sheep at that point. It says the glory of the Lord shone round about them. This is talking about the Shekinah glory of God. This is the same brightness that we see mentioned in Exodus chapter 34, verse 35. Remember when Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God, and Moses comes back down, and Moses' face is so bright that they could not look at Moses. They were, man, come on, Moses, give us a break. And Moses didn't even realize it. The Bible tells us in Exodus 34 that Moses put a veil on his face while he was talking to people. Can you imagine I mean, this was like wedding day every day as Moses is walking around with a veil covering over his face because he had been in the presence of God. Think about the fact that he was in God's presence and God's glory rubbed off on Moses. I wonder at times if that was today, how bright would your face be? How bright would my face be? From the amount of time that we'd spent with God in his presence, around his glory. But in this brightness, the angel spoke immediately to their problem. Verse number 10. And the angel said unto them, after they were afraid, fear not. Fear not. I think it's ironic about the story of Jesus' birth. Every person that an angel spoke to, you know what their first message was? Fear not. Joseph, fear not. Mary, fear not. Zacharias and Elizabeth, fear not. Shepherds, fear not. Over and over and over. Why is that? Because when God speaks to our heart, the first natural response is fear. The first thing that we fear that we feel is fear. Uh, man, why is God doing this? What is happening? I can't do that. I don't know how. God should pick somebody else. Fear. We need to hear a fear not this morning. We need to hear that message. There is nothing to be afraid of. And even though that might be our first go-to response, fear should not guide our lives. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Psalm 56 verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Someone wisely said, Fear that does not take you to God 
will take you away from God. You know, our fear should drive us to Him. So this morning, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Is it failure? Is it inadequacy? Is it, I'm just not good enough? Is it some kind of depression? I mean, I just, I don't know what it is. Maybe you're afraid of the unknown. Maybe you're afraid of what following Jesus might involve. If you were to turn to him and turn your life to him and come to the manger and see him, behold him, you're afraid of what you might have to give up. Can I just remind you, you don't have anything to lose. You have everything to gain in coming to him. The position these men were in. But then number two, we see the promise that was given to them. The promise. Good news, glad tidings, great joy. But for what? Verse 11, we see the magnitude of the promise. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. At last, the one they had heard about for so long was finally here. Max Licato said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. We need forgiveness. The angel said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. While their role and position may not have been elite, they may not have been the sharpest dressed guys in town. They may not have been the most talked about group of the day, but the Savior had still come for them, while their location may have been less than ideal, everything about them, God came for them. And this is us today. You know, while you might think that you bring nothing to God, that you have absolutely nothing to offer Him, God brought heaven down to you in the form of His Son, Jesus. And Jesus offered up Himself for you. Heaven has come down to us. That's why we sing the song. The magnitude that God sent us a Savior. But then number two, we see the marker that is given in verse number 12. Bethlehem, not as large as Jerusalem, but they couldn't go door to door looking for Jesus. Verse number 12, and this shall be a sign unto you. Hey, I'm going to tell you how you can find Jesus. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I love the fact that the angel gave them reference points that they could understand. You know, the angel didn't say, now, let me give you this great math problem that you're not going to really understand, but ask somebody and they'll help you figure it out. The angel said, I'm going to speak to you exactly how you're going to understand. I'm going to make it simple. And here's the emphasis of the message this morning. God's plan of salvation is simple. It's not complicated. This is not rocket science. This is not something that we look at and say, man, I could never be saved because I don't even understand it. Here's the simplicity. God sent us Jesus he died in our place because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. 
And if we'll simply ask him for forgiveness, he'll offer it and give it to us. That's the simplicity of salvation. Say, Pastor, what about all the other things? What about the rules? There are no rules. We're talking about establishing a relationship with Jesus. That's the simplicity of the gospel. You might be here this morning and you may say, well, there's no way. It can't be that simple. I could give you thousands of people that would say otherwise. Because the gospel is made for all mankind. If it was so high, some of us couldn't reach it. If it was so low, none of us would want it. But he made it accessible for everybody. He came and did the unthinkable so that we could have the impossible. We could have forgiveness. So what is the sign today in your life that's showing you that you need him? This angel said, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's your sign. That's the marker that you're going to be looking for. That's how you'll know. But what is it in your life today that's showing you that you need Jesus? Maybe it's an addiction that you can't break free from. Maybe it's a relationship that you just can't restore on your own. Maybe it's a burden you've been carrying for too long. Maybe it's a feeling of hopelessness or that you don't have peace. Have you come to the manger looking for a Savior? Because He is the answer for all those things. He is what you need today. And if you're struggling and you walk out of here without hope, without peace, without joy, without contentment, you have missed it, my friend. Jesus is the answer for all that you seek. But you don't get him by default. God doesn't have grandchildren. He has children. That means that you must make a decision for yourself. And it's not anything that you can do that makes you good enough. He is everything and we are nothing. And that's what makes salvation so awesome. These men were humble. They found that a Savior would be in a very humiliating place. Wrapped with clothes that were used for animals. That didn't sound like a king, but that was exactly who they needed. See, the starting point for redemption is knowing that you have a need. Do you have a need today? Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned, there's our need, and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64 verse 6 and 7, For we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our unrighteousnesses are filthy rags. We do all fade as a leaf, and there is none that calls on that name. Stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. Our sin is what separates us from God. We had to have something to be able to make a bridge for us to be able to get back to God. And Jesus built that bridge with two wooden beams. And three rusty nails. Jesus built that bridge for humanity. That's why he died. And even after we're saved from our sin, we still struggle at times. We still have burdens and the things of life that weigh us down. And that's why I'm thankful for Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 9 through 11. It says, there remains a rest to the people of God. It says in verse number 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Hey, there's a rest. There is a place of hope and refuge that we can go. But guess what? It's the exact same place we went for salvation. It's still Jesus. He is that place of rest that we all need.
God saw their need and sent an answer. And maybe this morning, God already knows your need. Just a side note, he already does. And maybe he's just waiting on you to respond to the need that he already knows you have. We see the multitude mentioned in verse 13 and 14. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. All of a sudden as they're still trying to grasp what the angel is saying, all of these other angels appear and begin singing. Their song drew attention to the birth of Jesus Christ. It says, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We sing that song, angels we have heard on high. Angels we have heard on high. You know the song. You get to that chorus and it's all those weird words that nobody ever knows what they mean. Glory going on forever, you know. Uh, and then it's in excelsis Deo. What does that mean? Glory to God in the highest. That's exactly what they said. That's exactly what they sang that night with the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. They didn't know anything about peace. They had no concept of it. They lived under Rome's regime. They didn't know anything about peace. But Jesus had come to give them peace. And peace is available to all who will call on him. Matthew Henry said, what peace can they have? Who are not at peace with God. See, it's not just about finding heaven's peace. It's about sharing that peace with other people. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, follow peace with all men. We're supposed to be a peacemaking people. We're not supposed to be looking for conflict at the first sign. Man, I, I'll fight at the drop of a hat and I'll, I'll even drop the hat. We're not supposed to be those kind of people. We're supposed to be peaceful people. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Guess what? It's supposed to be peaceful even at church. Think about that in the next time we have a business meeting. Yeah? It's supposed to be peaceful. We don't have those bad kind of business meetings. But we're to have peace within and without. We see the position these people were nobody. Just like us, we're nothing. We see the promise, hey, unto you is born this day a Savior. There's the promise. And the Savior is available to us today. And then lastly this morning, we see the priority. The priority. In verse 15 through 20, the angels disappeared. They sang their song, made their grand appearance, lit up the sky, and then disappeared. Gone. Vanished into the night. As soon as this message was given, now what? What do we do now? What should we do next? How would they use what they had been given? What would they do? We've been given a great gift. What are we going to do with it? We see the priority was to see. Verse 15 and, 15 and 16. It says, And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Well, that was something. Let's go to bed. That's not what they said. They said, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. Here it is. And see this thing which has come to pass. You know what I like about this? They didn't say, let's see if what they said is really true. You know what they did? They exercised faith. Not let's see if it's real. 
let's go see what's happened. Let's go see this thing that has already happened. It was faith. It was trusting a perfect picture. But it also reveals to us who gave them the news. It says, verse number 15, See this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. God wanted them to have this message. Just like God wants to include you in his plan of redemption. God wants all of us to hear his message. He wants all of us to come to the manger today and see his son and then respond to who he is. That's what he wants us to do. See, the gift doesn't do you or I any good unless we receive it for ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a great gift. Paul spoke about the gift in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 when he said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is put in thee by the putting on of my hands. See, God doesn't give you a gift or share with you that message for you to store it in a closet like your Christmas sweater that you won't bring out again until next Christmas when we have Tacky Sweater Sunday. See, God doesn't give you a gift so that you can just store it up. God gives you a gift so that you can exercise faith in the gift. So that you can exercise something in the gift. And your faith must have an object. Your faith must have an object. You think about when you got out this morning and you went out to the car and you stuck that key in the ignition or you pushed that button. Your vehicle, you're placing your faith in that vehicle when you turn the key, when you push that button, that something is going to happen. And if something doesn't happen, there's a problem. You turn that key and you're like, all right, I know this thing's going to crank. And maybe you're like, I hope this thing's going to crank, you know. But you're exercising faith. We exercise faith in every area of our lives. You're going to go to work the end of this week or next week trusting that you have a job. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning hoping and praying that your wife still loves you and still married to you. Your kids are still at home. That there are presents under the tree. All of those things. We exercise faith everywhere. But yet we struggle in one area. And that's in this area when it comes to the gift. It's not rocket science, church. It's receiving the gift. God gave us a gift to enjoy. But are you enjoying the gift or are you enduring the gift? Oh, what time is it? I'm hungry. Oh, let's go. You enduring the gift today? And I'm not saying that the message is a gift. But this message is a gift. The fact that God sent us a Savior. He wants us, number one, to see that gift. Number two, and lastly, he wants us to share that gift. He wants us to share it. Verse 17, and when they had seen it, they hurried up. It says in verse 16, they came with haste, but when they had seen it, they had seen the promise fulfilled. They had seen that this gift was true. They had seen the message of the angels come to life for themselves when they had seen it. 
They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. They didn't leave the stable that night and say, well, good job, guys. Let's go back to work. No, no, no. Everywhere they went, they shared the message of the gift. Everywhere. It says, when they had seen it, they made known abroad. Verse 18, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Hey, this morning, there's a great gift that has been offered. The question, the biggest question you will ever answer in your life, have you received the gift? Then after you have received the gift, say, Pastor, yep, check, I've received the gift. Great. Are you sharing the gift? Are you doing anything to share that hope that you've received with other people? See, we can worship all we want to in here and have no impact out there. We can come into church, we can sing songs, we can get excited, we can praise the Lord, and we can leave unchanged, unaffected, and have no impact out there. Hey, church, our job is not to get all amped up in this room and leave unchanged. God wants us to respond. He wants us to receive the greatest gift that's ever been given and then share it. And if we're not doing that, We are not doing what he created us to do. Stephen Lawson said, The greatness of the gospel is not found in the messenger, but the message. It's all about the message. You see, the gift of God is Jesus, but what good is the gift if people don't know how to receive it? That's what it's all about. Have you personally received the gift? today. And if you have received the gift, have you shared the gift? Are you sharing the gift? Is there somebody in your life, maybe that you'll see this week, that doesn't have the gift? And you know it, and maybe they know it, but would you share the gift? There's something amazing about a gift. When you think about a Christmas present, all wrapped up, Box, gift inside. This is not an empty box, by the way. I'll show you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But this is a gift. This gift is wrapped. I wrapped it myself. Uh, This is a gift. This is not to me, okay? Uh, Anybody else out there like that? You wrap Christmas presents for yourself? That's weird, you know. My dog gives the best Christmas presents. He always knows exactly what I want. Love Rucker. He's so good at giving Christmas presents. But this gift has a name on it. It's not my name. It says John. Okay? This is John's Christmas present. Here you go. No, I'm kidding. All right? This is John's Christmas present. Now, I can talk about this. Amen? Yep. Red and white polka dots. You know, red for the blood. You know, white for the purity of Jesus. You know, it's got John's name on it. Yeah. This is John's present. But it doesn't do John any good. Until what? So he takes it. Hey, John, here you go. Here's your present. It's up here. You know, if, it's, if he walks out of here and leaves it on stage, next Sunday we'll come in, and it'll still be sitting there unless somebody swipes it. 
You know? But <laughs> there's a truth there, but I don't have time to unpackage. <laughs> unpackage. Uh, but John, this is your Christmas present. Okay? So John, this morning, here is your Christmas present from me. No joke. This is, this is his Christmas present from me. And John, all John has to do, he's already ready. He's already like sweating, man. He's ready for this. But John, this is your Christmas present. There you go. Merry Christmas. That's his Christmas present. All right. Now he's going to do what most of us would have already done. He's going to open it. Anyway, on cue. All right. And so, yeah, yeah. So John just got his Christmas present. He has received the gift. All right. When he opens it, opens it. Okay? All right? It says, let me see for a second. I'll give it right back, I promise. All right? John is a major Batman freak, okay? All right? He's a nerd. But this is a Batwing posable lamp, okay? This will be on John's desk before he leaves the building, I promise you, okay? Uh, but this is your gift. So, Merry Christmas. Love you. So, here's the thing John, all he had to do is receive the gift. Now, John did not say, man, that's so nice. All right, it says the price on the back of it because I forgot to take the sticker off. Uh, <laughs> the price of my love and friendship is right here, right? <laughs> Something 99, all right? So, uh, but I can't even get it off now. Too late, all right? I'll take the back off of the sticker. How about that? Uh, so you'll know the sense. You won't know the sense, but you won't, you'll know how much the first part is. Who cares? All right, there's your gift. But here's the thing. John did not say, man, thanks for the present. How much do I owe you? Because if he said, how much do I owe you, then it's not a what? It's not a gift. You know, for a gift to take place, all the price has to have already been paid, and it has to be offered, and the person has to receive it. And that's exactly what salvation is. The price has already been paid. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again the third day. To pay for our sin. So the price has already been paid. All we have to do is receive it. This morning, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're sitting. Don't know what you're going through in your life. But there's somebody in this room. You've not received the gift. You haven't received Jesus for yourself. Hey, the gift is right there. It's been extended. And Jesus is saying, if you'll trust me. If you'll simply accept me. If you'll simply take me at my word, he made a promise. He said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you'll take him at his word, he will keep his word and he will save you. But only if you will receive the gift. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't want anybody to move, not even our personal workers, not our music team. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Be honest today. Say, Pastor, I know in my own life, I know that I have received the gift. There's no doubt in my mind. I know that heaven's my home when I die. I know in my life, there's been a moment in my, in my life that I know that I can point back to and say, I can have received the gift. Would you simply raise up your hand just as a testimony? Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hands right down. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I couldn't raise my hand right then. I don't know that I've ever received the gift. I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. I'm not convinced. I'm not sure. I have a doubt. Is that you today? 
I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not trying to get you to confess something before God. God already knows your heart. You already know whether or not you have received the gift. This is simply you saying, hey, pastor, pray for me. I know that's where I am this morning. I have not received the gift. I haven't got that settled in my heart and life. Would you pray for me? I, I would like to just know who I'm praying for this morning. Pastor, hey, please pray for me. Would you slip up your hand with no one looking around in honesty and say, Pastor, please pray for me. That's me. I have not received the gift. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Somebody else say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I haven't received the gift. I don't have that confidence that those other people that raise their hand, I don't, just don't have it. And maybe that's you. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you simply slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Uh, just include me in that prayer. Don't send somebody to talk to me. Don't point me out. Call my name. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. Can I be your friend today? Pastor, please pray for me. Pray for me. I don't know that I've received the gift. I just don't know. I don't have that confidence. You know, this gift is so simple. Jesus died on the cross. He paid your sin debt and mine. You know, we could not pay that debt on our own. Jesus had to do that. And by doing that, by dying on the cross, going to the grave, rising triumphant over death, hell, and the grave, he allowed us the opportunity to simply ask him for forgiveness. And because of what he did at the cross, he can give us that forgiveness that we all desperately need. There is an eternity coming for every single one of us. And all of us will spend eternity in one of two places, either heaven or a place the Bible calls hell. All of us are going to one of those two places. And the determining factor is if you have received the gift. That's how vital Jesus is in this equation. So maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, hey, I don't, I don't even know what to do. I, I need the gift. I know that. I've acknowledged that. Raise your hand. I, I, I know that I need the gift. But maybe you don't even know what to do next. Maybe you don't know what to say, how to even ask. You're simply acknowledging what the Bible says, that you're a sinner. And maybe you would pray something like this. You don't have to pray my words. Not, not magical. It's not a magical, mystical prayer, but it is a prayer of faith. Trusting that when you act on what God has said in his word, that he is going to do what he said he'd do. Maybe you would pray a prayer something like this. And if you want to be saved, you want to... Ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin. You want him to be in your life and change you and be your savior. Would you simply pray something like this, dear Jesus? I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that if I stay the way that I am, that I deserve to be separated from you for all eternity because of my sin. But thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for rising from the dead, proving that you were strong enough to forgive me of sin. Please change my life. Be my Savior. Forgive my sin. In Jesus' name. Now with head still bowed and eyes still closed, I'm going to ask you this morning to put feet on those prayers. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, hey, I, I had never prayed that before. I had never prayed a prayer like that. I did not know that I was saved. I did not know that I'd exercised faith. But I know I just prayed a prayer something like that. And I trusted Jesus for the very first time to be my Savior. As a testimony to the gospel this morning, would you simply, with no one looking around, simply slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I just prayed that prayer and I meant it. I wanted him to save me. I wanted him to forgive me. Is that you? 
Can I just look? I want to look around. No one looking. Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand back down. Somebody else say, Pastor, I hadn't raised my hand yet, but I'm going to raise it right now. I just prayed a prayer like that, and I wanted Jesus to save me. I was serious. This is not fun and games. This is not laughing matter. This is eternity hanging in the balance. That's how serious this is. All of us are going to spend eternity somewhere. And what we do with Jesus makes the difference. I'm going to ask one more time. Say, hey, Pastor, I didn't, I, I'm not messing around. I'm serious. I just prayed a prayer and I asked the Lord to save me. In saving faith, I wanted him to be my Savior. Is that you? Thank you for your honesty. You can put your hand down. Maybe somebody else say, Pastor, I'm serious. I pray the prayer and I'm serious. I want Jesus to save me. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know what to do next. Maybe your next step, you've already taken that step of salvation, trusting Jesus as your Savior, but maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to follow him and start learning about him. Maybe that's discipleship. Maybe that's service. Maybe that's church membership. We're all at different places on our journey with Jesus. But this morning, hey, this morning, let's start with step one. And if you've already taken that first step, let's take another step. Whatever God wants you to do this morning, Hey, would you simply, as we're going to have our music team begin coming and get in place, and they're going to sing in just a minute. We're all going to sing together to kind of close out the service. But maybe in the quietness of this moment, taking a little bit of extra time, and that's okay, because this is the most important thing we'll ever do today. Getting, Making sure I know where I'm going to spend eternity and making sure I know that I have done what God wants me to do in this time slot. I know that I have responded because with information is power. And with power becomes, comes responsibility. Hey, I'm responsible now for what I've heard. I'm responsible to respond to God's word. And God has spoken this morning because of his word. And when we hear God's word, we are to respond. So this morning, have you responded to God's word? Maybe you'll just pray right there in your seat. And whatever he's dealing with your heart about, you'll respond to him. Our personal workers are going to make their way up. and Whatever you need to do, we have people who will be down front who would love to pray with you, encourage you. Our altar's open down front. There'll be people behind you. And if you need to come pray with someone, you need somebody to pray with you, whatever your need is today, would you simply respond to what God is doing in our hearts? Father, please bless our time of invitation. Lord, help us to respond to your word. Please do what only you can do. Lord, you're speaking to hearts today. Lord, several have indicated that they trusted you as their personal Savior. Lord, help that not to be a private decision, but help it to be something that is shared with other people. Lord, please do a work within us. We love you. Continue to draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. We're going to sing that song, Wonderful, Merciful Savior. If you need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you need someone to pray with you, do what God wants you to do this morning.